Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. Today, a discussion about how we get there with State Transportation Secretary Jim Gray, the former mayor of Lexington. There are some major recent developments in transportation from the announcement of the Brent Spence Bridge Corridor uh, to a long-range statewide plan that took feedback from about 8,000 people about the future. There's a major push toward electric vehicles. Where do things stand with a network of charging stations? And will rural areas be remembered as that is all rolled out? We'll also ask Secretary Gray about how the state prepares to respond to wintry weather situations and why road improvements sometimes come after developments are already underway. Transportation Secretary Jim Gray joining us today. Thank you so much for coming. Appreciate it. You bet, Bill. You asked me why we wanted you to come in. I said, well, we've, we thought about it over the Brent Spence Bridge. That that's, yep. uh, really is the, the, the major uh, uh, headline of recent weeks out of uh, uh, the transportation. So let's talk about that. It's a corridor project. This will right. be a massive improvement. Yes. Uh, the Federal Infrastructure Act provides uh, the money to get that going. Was that really the only way, that infusion of money, to, to get a bridge done up there, yeah. and especially uh, one without tolls? Yeah, well, Bill, let me put it in context. When I got this job, or when the governor actually invited me to take this job, he said he had three priorities. One was the completion of the Mountain Parkway. A second was the I-69 corridor and bridge between Henderson and Evansville. And the third was the Brent Spence Bridge and getting that companion bridge done. And as you know, we had a fire up there a couple of years ago on that bridge, which really tested us. But we got that project done in 41 days. We repaired the bridge, reopened it. But that really illuminated, that really exposed just how critical that bridge was and is to commerce in Kentucky, uh, Ohio, and really the entire corridor. So. The short answer is the bipartisan infrastructure law really helped. It helped enormously. And I would say, yes, without it, we would arguably not be able to be where we are today. Now, the governor was insistent. He said, Jim, we got to get this project done. So we may have worked it through one way or another, but this certainly was a big, big boost. What will that project entail? As we said, it's, yes. it's a corridor project, yeah, it's, uh, right. and, and there's a, a companion bridge and uh, some right. improvements to the existing structure, right? Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's also been characterized, Bill, as the second worst truck bottleneck in the country. So all of this together was what we believe was the real catalyst for getting this $1.635 billion grant, which is the largest, as far as we know, it's the largest in American history. So the corridor altogether, roughly nine miles, the Ohio side, the Kentucky side, the bridge itself, altogether, this will help relieve some of the, some of this um, vehicular traffic on the existing bridge. The existing bridge was was uh, the ribbon cutting on it was in 1963. In fact, I got a cop, I got a little piece of the ribbon. The Joe Meyer, the mayor of Covington, gave it to us at the at the at the uh, ceremony a couple three weeks ago. In 1963, it was designed to carry 80,000 vehicles a day, and today it's carrying 160,000. So you, you know when you when you get to <clears throat> the 75-71 junction it really gets seriously congested. And regrettably, there are more accidents there than anyone would like to see. This, is, this corridor 
this new corridor is designed to relieve that pressure some of that pressure that we have and that we experience there today. As that companion structure is built, one bridge will carry northbound, the other southbound, is that the plan? That's right. It's a, it will be a double-decker, similar to the existing bridge, and the same traffic patterns will exist. Is the land acquired for that uh, companion bridge? Yeah. <clears throat> We're still working on some of the, some of the uh, land acquisitions some of the right of way, but we're in good shape, uh, really. Uh, uh, Ohio's working on its right of way acquisitions as well. We're working on ours, and we're working with we're working with those who are affected. We're doing our best to minimize that impact on either residents and the community. You know, Covington was vigorously engaged in this. Uh, Mayor Joe Meyer vigorously engaged in it. And um, he wants the bridge to be an improvement. It will be an improvement for local traffic, uh, but he wanted it to connect communities. So we bu are building in more pedestrian and bicycle opportunities, not necessarily on the bridge itself, but around in the Covington area. Because we all know what happens when you build any kind of bypass or pass through is that uh, sometimes communities get left behind, right? That's exactly right. And, and what we're trying to do is both, both ensure that Covington uh, is able to have the traffic and the benefits of that that it has today, but not the congestion. So when you put all this, when you put all this together, uh, that's what our designers are focused on and that's what they're committed to. This is a, a maybe a bit of a tricky question. Who owns the Brent Spence <laughs> Bridge? Is it Kentucky or Ohio? And apparently Kentucky has uh, uh, favorably negotiated recently a, a bit of a change there. Well, right? the governor did a really good job of negotiating with Governor DeWine, the, the governor of Ohio. And uh, there was a Supreme Court decision held many, many years ago when river traffic, when river commerce was at its uh, really preeminent time in the in the early part of the 20th century and that court decision I was told held that Kentucky had responsibility up to the Ohio side of the river so that meant that Kentucky had the responsibility for maintenance well we were able to negotiate uh, with a smile with Ohio as we were working through the memorandum of understanding and get a favorable agreement that allows for this maintenance to be more equally shared on both the new bridge and the existing bridge. So, uh, it's in, a, in other words, yeah. now it's kind of a kind of a co-project. Yeah, kind of a co, more of a co-project. Actually, Ohio's um, percentage of the project itself will be 52 percent. Our percentage of the project is roughly 48 percent. The goal is to have this project done by 2029. That's the, the time frame. How much effort will be required to, to during that time? Because sometimes it's, the, it's those frustrating years of construction uh, that's bottleneck and slow things up even more, uh, at least yeah. during that period. How much patience will be required? Well, there's always patience required, but let me back up a little bit and tell you that, that I've learned in being both in the private sector and the construction business and in the public sector in the it went in, during the time when you're planning a project, and I've learned that the toughest part of a project is arguably in a public project when you're actually putting the project together and trying to finance it, getting all the constituents together. And I refer back to, for example, the Rupp Arena and the Convention Center here in Lexington. That was the toughest part. When you get to the point that you can actually put the plans to paper and construction in the ground, 
then it's not easy by any means, but it is, it is a much more predictable environment. And so in that sense, it's predictable. Now, will we have traffic challenges? Of course we will. But the effort is, and there's a really <clears throat> the technology today for traffic management is really, ex really extraordinary. And we're beginning to use even much more automated technology for, um, for flaggers, for example. So, you know, it won't have as much of an impact on this project, but on two-way roads, I've learned how important these automated technologies are today. Mr. Secretary, clearly many uh, cars of the future will be electric. Uh, maybe at some point uh, soon will be to where most of them are, but Kentucky is obviously uh, going to be a, a major EV battery provider and maker. Uh, will we get a good network of EV charging stations in place uh, by the time that there's a, a strong demand for it? Well, Bill, the governor has said, and I'm going to back up just a second again for context, because you said it right. Uh, Kentucky is, is quickly becoming the electric vehicle battery manufacturing center of not just, I would say, not just the United States, but North America. And put it in another bit of context before we get to the EV charging stations themselves, uh, Toyota came to Kentucky in 1985, landed here and it was then an $800 million investment. That investment today would be $2.3 billion. Think of it this way. Between the Ford SK plant in Elizabethtown, Glendale, and the Envision plant in Bowling Green, to those two together, close to $8, 9000000000 billion, three to four times what the Toyota would, investment would be if it were built today. That tells you a little bit about how significant it is. Okay, now let's talk about the EV charging stations themselves, which the transportation cabinet is responsible for the implementation. The plan is for the parkways and the interstates every 50 miles to have a fast charging station. Okay, and <clears throat> there will be four units at each, a minimum of four units at each station. So every 50 miles, this is, this is phase one. Now. We're spend our investment in that roughly is about 50, 60 million. After the phase, after phase one, with the interstates and the parkways, then we'll go into other major state routes. So you're promising the rural people won't be left out. Absolutely. You know, the governor made made that real clear when we when we submitted our first maps to the U.S. Department of Transportation. We were one of the earliest ones to get approved. So it won't happen overnight. And there won't be destinations overnight. But that is a very intentional and deliberate effort. Now, the legislature shifted some money that was to be for the charging network over to a veteran center in, in Bowling Green. Right. Uh, does that in any way imperil the, the network getting built? Well, I certainly hope not. And the legislature, in, in conversations with legislators, they've said, you know, if we, if we, if we need to look at this funding, as we go downstream, then we can consider it again, which I think is a very reasonable and very responsible thing to do. Did it give you any uh, pause or concern when utility companies had to do uh, rolling blackouts uh, uh, right around Christmas when they, it got so cold and there was so much uh, energy consumption? Well, it didn't as it relates, it didn't give me a lot of pause or concern as it relates to these EV charging stations themselves because the, the demand is not as that significant at this point in time. Now, going downstream, you know, there's a lot to consider. 
on these issues. How much, you know, what is that demand looking like? But today, it's not at that level of, it's not at the level of demand that, that presents the nest, uh, need really for anxiety or caution. Do people do, would pull up and pay? Uh, is this like pay at the pump? Well, or, that's, or, or, how, how will that be done? That is, a lot of that's dependent on the providers, on how they actually decide. We're, we we uh, are, uh, cre have created RFPs, requests for proposals. They go to the private sector. Now the private sector will be responding to those RFPs. And in that process, they will be expected to illustrate how they're going to get paid. And then as more of uh, the transportation cost shifts over there, uh, how do you replace the gasoline tax that, uh, that's a, that funds the roads? That's the, that's the $800 million question, Bill. Uh, and it's one that 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 everyone uh, in public service in Kentucky in public office needs to be concerned about, because the gasoline tax fuels uh, the revenue sharing that goes to our counties and our cities and our communities throughout the state, and this generates somewhere in the order of magnitude of around eight hundred million dollars a year. And frankly, that's been relatively flat in the last few years. So it is, uh, does cause concern, it does cause anxiety, and as electric vehicles rise in popularity, I'm driving one, as they rise in popularity, and um, you know, General Motors has said 2030, they're not going to be making any combustion engine vehicles. And so is Ford. And so right now there is no uh, highway tax on, on the... There is. Uh, it's, coming into, it's coming into play for electric vehicles and hybrids, yes but is yep. not in effect right now. I believe Bill, that it's coming into, it, it's been passed by the legislature, yes. Okay. Update us on the, uh, this is fascinating because it's the future, right? But update us on the uh, the progress of the Mountain Parkway, the, the opportunities that the improvements uh, there could bring for that region, and, yeah. uh, and they're uh, coming right along, as we say. Well, I said the governor had three priorities. He told me the first day I met with him, and one of those was the Mountain Parkway, completion of the Mountain Parkway, and we're well underway with that. We've already completed up to up to Salyersville. Uh, that last leg is under construction um, today, or not, I'm sorry, forgive me, not the last leg. We have section under construction today. We've done it in segments, in sections, okay? The last section is roughly a 12, 13 mile section, McGoffin County from Salyersville to Prestonsburg. And the governor has promised the uh, legislators and the, from the, the Mountain Caucus, as it's called, Eastern Kentucky Caucus, they wanted to, us to consider, the cabinet to consider a, what's called a cross-country um, cross route instead of going along Kentucky 114. This allows for uh, much more limited access, uh, much more arguably efficient travel in the Floyd County in the Floyd County section. So that allow, this is taking the route cross country and um, the, the costs should be roughly equivalent to what they would have been had we gone along uh, run 114. So good news for Eastern Kentucky is this project is uh, very well underway. Uh, we're to finishing up on the design as we speak. We're gonna be issuing the RFPs shortly 
uh, already had a convening of uh, interested vendors, contractors for the project for this last 12, 13 mile section. It's come to Very exciting. Absolutely, and, uh, and impactful. Let's uh, come to Lexington, and there is a project on Winchester Road, US 60. Uh, but clearly, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of development underway before that project really gets rolling. There's a, a hospital being built nearby, right. talk of a second one, a school uh, that's opening there, other major businesses, and so on. Uh, does development sometimes outrun the state's ability to uh, to make road improvements? Uh, I, I somehow thought that might be where you were going with that question. <laughs> you know, having been in the construction business all my life, I've observed I've observed this, and you know, frankly, Bill, there's no hard and fast rule on that. There's no hard and fast rule on when you place a road. But what we do in the transportation cabinet, and I've learned in the three years I've been here, is very carefully examine these challenges, these opportunities. They are a challenge, but they're an opportunity. So, you know, development translates into economic opportunity quite often in a creative way when it's done responsibly, it translates into economic opportunity. So what the transportation cabinet, one of our primary goals is and in our mission statement is to plan our projects so they will enhance the opportunity for economic growth and vitality so when we do plan the projects we work them with a development project often very closely with a development project signalized intersections for example you know whether or not to do an R cut or a signalized intersection all these become some of the some of the uh, carefully thought through uh, design and engineering opportunities or challenges in a project. Let me ask you one question. We're here in the midst of winter, obviously, and, uh, and you get uh, rattled awake sometimes <laughs> with the situations that are, that are ongoing, but uh, does Kentucky have the capacity uh, adequately, in your view, to respond to, uh, to winter weather situations and keep our roads clear? Short answer to that is absolutely yes. I have been, I want to tell you, Bill, I, I take every chance I can to praise the employees of the Transportation Cabinet. Uh, those who are on the front line, our Department of Highways employees that are on the front line that are out in this snow and ice conditions, they are, forget the, forgive the punt, salt of the earth. Yeah, they're putting salt on these roads and they're doing a whole lot more to keep these roads clear. Bill, think about it this way. When we had the disaster in Western Kentucky, the tornadoes, when we had the disaster in Eastern Kentucky with the floods, who was on the scene first? The transportation employees. They had to clear the roads. They had to clear the fallen trees. They had to clear the debris, slides, slides that had occurred, okay, before the actual first responders could get to their victims. So, again, I've use every opportunity. 4,400 employees in the cabinet, 3,400 of those are in Department of Highways spread all over the state in every single county. Do you gear up for a situation when you, you anticipate uh, here, you know, it's going to get snowy or? Do I personally? Well, or does the, ca the, the cabinet? Do yes. you get your cabinet Both. prepared? <laughs> <laughs> Both. The cabinet, <clears throat> the employees of the cabinet, the leadership in the cabinet actually begin working a snow and ice plan in the summer, in the heat of the summer. That's when the plans began for snow and ice. So when it comes time 
when we have those conditions, then it, we are prepared. And again, I cannot praise enough these employees who get out there. Bill, there were some who had their own homes lost in the tornado and in the flood, and they still showed up to work to help others. And we had people coming from all over the state in the flood, employees coming from all over the state in convoys of equipment to eastern Kentucky during the flood. Secretary Gray, appreciate you coming by. Thank Great you to be with, with you, us. Bill. And stay with us. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. And we're getting our first look at what pollsters have discovered with this year's closely watched governor's race. A Mason-Dixon poll out this week shows a majority of Kentucky voters approving of the job that Governor Andy Beshear is doing. And it also points to an early front runner in the crowded Republican field of candidates. WKYT's Phil Pendleton has more. It is still a long way to November, but a majority, 61% of likely Kentucky voters say they like what they see in Governor Andy Bashir. I look at these numbers and, and they confirm to me that there's nothing Democrat or Republican, red or blue, about a good job, about affordable and accessible health care, or about public safety. Bashir was the only Democrat to win a statewide office three years ago, and many view Kentucky as a very red state. Three of the constitutional officers who won then are now wanting the governor's office. Daniel Cameron is leading. Cameron's clearly leading the other Republican rivals right now, uh, but also it, it seems to be partly just because he has so much more name recognition. Kelly Kraft is coming in with the second most number, but a lot more people, according to the poll, are undecided. Republican leaders say their sole purpose is defeating Andy Bashir and the Democratic agenda. Look, at the end of the day, there's a lot of time between now and November, and uh, we look forward to the rigorous and diligent campaign that we will run with whoever our nominee is. Political experts say part of Bashir's success stems from his handling of two major natural disasters in opposite ends of the state. Holding up uh, Bashir's popularity is that he's stronger in eastern and western Kentucky than he used to be in the poll, and uh, for probably the fact that he's been dealing with problems in eastern and western Kentucky. After Cameron and Kraft, others leading the governor's Republican primary are Ryan Quarles and Mike Harmon. Others are garnering only 2% or less of the vote. In Frankfurt, Phil Pendleton, WKYT. Now let's take a deeper look inside the polls. Uh, that was uh, the numbers found by Mason Dixon. 61% of likely Kentucky voters approve of Governor Andy Beshear's job performance. That's 1% higher than his approval rate a year ago. Here's a look at the Republican field of candidates. It is a crowded one, and Attorney General Daniel Cameron is leading with that 39% showing. Voters saying they would be for him if the election were today. Interestingly, 28% say they're undecided. Kelly Kraft was next at 13% and the other candidates fell behind in single digits. Now looking at each Republican candidate against Governor Andy Bashir, according to that poll, Cameron stacks up the best, receiving 40% of the vote. Quarles would get 35%, but against the top four GOP candidates, Governor Andy Bashir had a significant lead against all of them. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers and Kentucky Children's Hospital is taking some of the travel and worry away from kids who are needing specialized care. WKYT's Kristen Kennedy takes a closer look at Kentucky Children's Hospital's new solution. 
Brian, you are good to come in here with Aisha. She's going to get you guys checked in. So it was very important to us to have something that seemed friendly and that the kids would be excited to go to and that it would be welcoming for people of all backgrounds. Eli, it's so nice to meet you. I'm Dr. Callie. Dr. Callie Raza is seeing her first of what's likely to be many pediatric patients in an untraditional location. It is hard going to a hospital, especially when you're a child. That can be very scary. You don't know what is going to happen. Um, but this is a little bit more fun. It's, let's go see the big truck. As the congenital heart clinic medical director and the Department of Pediatrics ambulatory medical director. And we'll go right up here from the top, okay? Taking work from the hospital to the big truck was a natural fit. You sound great. <laughs> we spent time with her in Scott County. We have a lot of patients that come from this area that come into Lexington. Parked right outside Georgetown Community Hospital, the mobile clinic is hard to miss. The challenge for many of these families is driving to Lexington, dealing with the traffic, uh, parking. So when they're able to come somewhere close to home, get in and out very easy, it just makes it uh, a lot more efficient for them, especially when you're talking about uh, pediatric patients. Kentucky Children's Hospital and Georgetown Community Hospital have had a long-standing relationship. CEO Cliff Wilson said his team was already trying to find a way to expand specialized care with UK. And we were looking for a space to be able to do it in an office setting, uh, and we ran into some limitations there. But when UK purchased the bus, it created a great segue to get the program started uh, a little bit quicker. The practice manager for the mobile clinic, Maj Jabour, helped make it happen. Our community partners identify the patients that need to be seen by our clinicians and our clinicians come to them and if it's a complex care if it's a complex case then that 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 is when we request our patients go and be seen at a larger clinic whether a hospital or an outpatient facility the mobile clinic will be at georgetown community hospital once a month Right now, they're only seeing cardiology patients, but they hope to expand soon. We're sending our regular staff to these clinics. There are some diagnostic studies we may not be able to do due to space and, and timing, but for the most part, we're managing to give the same level of care as we would at our home clinic. Dr. Raza would we'll love to see okay. more children inside the big truck. In Georgetown, Kristen Kennedy, WKYT. And next week, we'll have a look ahead to the legislative session and the latest real estate trends. That's Kentucky Newsmakers for this week. Thank you for joining us. Have a good week ahead.